What's up? I'm B, and whether you are watching this on YouTube or you are listening to the podcast, I want to say welcome. I hope you're having an amazing day. Today we are going over episode three of The Deep End, which is a docuseries surrounding Teal Swan, and this is, again, episode three, so if you've not watched or listened to episodes one and two, I would highly recommend going back and doing that. Otherwise, you might be a little bit lost. Before we jump into the content of episode three of this docuseries, I just want to give some additional context to consider as we listen to what happened in that episode. So um, there's a lot of talk about whether or not Teal runs a cult. This is from the Tennessean. They're exploring what a cult is and what a cult might look like in today's day and age, essentially. And so I just wanted to read you some excerpts from this article that will be linked down below. It says, quote, A cult is a group or movement held together by a shared commitment to a charismatic leader or ideology. It has a belief system that has the answers to all of life's questions and offers a special solution to be gained only by following the leader's rules. It requires a high level of commitment from at least some of the members. Taking a break from quoting the article, let's remember the emphasis on the word some. Back to the quote, how do cults start up? There's four dimensions to a cultic group that we see across the board. Number one, charismatic leader. The charismatic leader is the originator of the group. Charismatic leaders are people who are great manipulators. They're charming. They know how to read people. They come along and offer a message that is going to resonate with somebody. Once they get a few followers, that's all they need. And then those people go out, recruit more, and they build up an aura around the leader. Number two, transcendent belief system. Most religions and even political groups are going to have a transcendent belief system, meaning they're stating how to get to some better place. But what's different in a cultic group is they have their way to get you there. It's what I call the recipe for change. In order to be a part of the group, you have to go through a transformational process, which they dictate to you, and you can't be there otherwise. That's the indoctrination program. Number three, systems of control. They think they're joining something that's going to give them purpose and meaning. Slowly, the heat gets turned up and you go through the rituals or the study sessions that get you more and more drawn in. As this process goes on, the person begins to adopt this new worldview that requires new behaviors and which most often requires cutting off from the past. There's all kinds of control mechanisms, which are rules and regulations. You've got to dress this way. Number four, systems of influence. Then there's the more subtle influences, which is the peer pressure. Older members will model for the new members how you're supposed to behave. Before you know it, you're so enveloped in this other reality that you don't look to anything else. You don't allow yourself to be opened to any other explanations. Your mind has completely closed in on this new worldview. So the connections to the belief system is kind of the glue that keeps you there. This is your only hope. End quote. I wanted to read that to give us some additional context and to also provide us with some markers that we can look for when we are evaluating whether or not something is in fact a cult. With all that being said, let's get into episode three of The Deep End. We are going to see some things start to fall apart and we're going to be able to recognize some patterns that are not specific to Teal, but kind of like the Teal special. And I think you'll know what I mean as we go through what went down in this episode. We open on a group session at one of Teal's retreats and she says, quote, I cannot stress how powerful this process is. You will be making changes based off of what you see. Let's say that you've got a parent who really ruined your life. 
That's something that you need to see. The dynamic with this horribly abusive person. A family display is sometimes the hardest because you have to see the reality of what was actually happening in the home. I need you to trust that I've got you. End quote. So right off the bat, hearing that quote, I want to remind us of what we talked about in episode one with Dr. Barbara Snow. Teal claims to have been horribly abused by a Mormon satanic sex abuse cult. She went public about this after receiving treatment from Dr. Barbara Snow. Dr. Barbara Snow was very heavily connected with the Mormon satanic panic that happened in Utah um, that consisted of a lot of claims and a lot of allegations that legally ended up being unfounded. A lot of Dr. Barbara Snow's patients, who are very often children, end up uh, coming out with these recovered memories. They say they have memories of things that they were blocking out, and with Barbara's help, Dr. Snow's help, they've retrieved them. And every memory I've heard of Dr. Barbara Snow helping retrieve has been related to childhood cult sexual abuse. I brought this up in episode one that we talked about. I don't know why all of the memories are the exact same. You know, why aren't any of these memories related to something like being bullied at school and blocking that out or having a really traumatic medical experience and blocking that out? It's all the same with her. And so what are the odds that all of these kids experienced the same things and they all blocked them out until they talked to Barbara Snow? Is that the likely scenario that that's the truth in what happened? Or is something a little bit fishy going on? Is there a little bit of an ulterior motive happening where Barbara Snow is potentially fabricating these memories in children. I do think that in general, our default should be to believe survivors. However, it's also important to be objective when we are noticing a pattern of things that just isn't quite adding up. And again, this is where things do get tricky and where it can be very hard to determine what you believe to be the truth. Because It doesn't feel good to be the kind of person who says to somebody, "Um, you're telling me that you have this horrible memory of this awful thing that happened to you, but I have doubts about it. Nobody wants to be that person. But with Dr. Barbara Snow, the vast majority of the allegations that she and her patients have made have been unfounded. Law enforcement has not been able to find anything to substantiate these claims. They opened up a special task force. They brought in other law enforcement departments. You know, they tried to find evidence of these Mormon sex child abuse cults and they couldn't find them. There were some people, like I said in episode one, who were convicted of child sexual abuse, but the amount of people who were able to be convicted was very small compared to the number of allegations that were made. And in some cases, those um, like rulings ended up being overturned later. So again, I don't like saying that bad things didn't happen to people when they say that something bad happened to them. But those are just things to consider, especially when we are talking about Teal, because Teal is using this part of her story 
to sell herself and to sell her services and to say, here's what I went through. Here are all these things that happened to me and I came out on the other side and I can help you too. She is using this experience for profit. And that's not to say that survivors of abuse can't use what they've been through in order to benefit monetarily. But I do think that when we are looking at somebody like Teal, it's worth having a conversation about. It's worth noting how much money she makes and that she is an author. She sells paintings. She does workshops. She does live retreats. She makes a lot of money based on this story that in general has quite a few holes. It's not out of the realm of possibility that certain parts of her story have been embellished in order to turn a profit. And I want to give a shout out to one of you. Thank you so much, Lindsay, for bringing up the interview that was done on the Mormon Stories podcast. They interviewed Diana Hansen Rivera, who grew up with Teal and was very close with her as a child. Diana shared her experience and what she observed, and she was very clear to say, like, this is just from my experience. This is from what I saw. Diana pokes a lot of holes in Teal's story. So I would recommend watching it if you want, if you want to hear what she has to say. It was a really great interview. Diana just seems like a lovely person. And so somebody, so we have somebody who knew Teal as a kid and was very close friends with her, according to what she has said who is very much doubting the cult aspect of Teal's story. She says, you know, I don't know. Something could have happened, but there are just some things that don't add up and some timeline issues. And so I don't want to go into the whole depths of that because I've already been rambling for long enough, but it's it's worth a watch. I feel like if you're feeling bad for questioning certain elements of Teal's story about being held captive and ritualistically abused as a child, it's definitely worth checking out and hearing it from Diana's perspective because it might give some validity to some of the doubts that you are feeling. That's all I will say for now on that. Let's get back to the episode. We see Cyan, who is a member of Teal's team, leading an exercise with a small group where it appears the main person they are working with picks a particular age that they are trying to recall a memory from, and then different participants embody different members of that main person's family and even the, the person themselves. So they are trying to engage in role-playing uh, they call it embodying the consciousness of whatever person they are role-playing as in order to trigger memories, in order to try and recall childhood memories that this main person is blocking out. So they ask questions like, do you agree with your free will to assume the consciousness of the part of me that is a child? And they do it for mom, dad, brother, sister, with this whole group, and then they physically start role-playing. And so in this specific instance, Ellie is the person who is trying to recall memories, and she watches the role-play. And in the role-play, like, she's from the outside. Other people are pretending to be her. They're embodying the consciousness, you know, quote-unquote, of Ellie, her mom, her dad. And so she watches them do this. And uh, it's basically the scenario is Ellie playing by herself and then her parents fighting over who taught her to play these weird games. 
And Cyan asks Ellie if she's relating to this, and she says that she's not recognizing it. And as an audience member, like me watching the documentary, it just felt like the role-playing they were doing wasn't really resonating with Ellie. It wasn't like, wow, that's exactly how it felt like, or that really resembles something that I remember happening, but not fully. Um, it, it just seems like she's watching it from the outside, and it's not really clicking. So they continue going and they go through the entire role-playing scenario and then they talk about what feelings each participant got while they were embodying the consciousness of the part of X person at X time. And these people who were role-playing Ellie and her family make suggestions as to what might have happened to Ellie as a child. One person suspects that there was abuse from Ellie's father to Ellie's brother, and then another one says that they suspect that there was inappropriate touching between Ellie's mother and Ellie's brother. Ellie just kind of takes it in and then starts crying. So they go outside to continue this session, and they're kind of sitting massage train style. You know, they're in a line with Ellie at the front, and then science facing Ellie. And he says, quote, there's a lot you've had to hold on to until now. What you are learning is how to find it and how to recognize it, end quote. Ellie says, quote, I don't want to see my parents as evil, end quote. And he responds, quote, those are all things we can look at, end quote. Ellie starts sobbing, and then we see the title card. Now, your reaction to this opening scene could be one of a million different things depending on who you are and what experiences you've had, but I do want to say that I am uh, of the belief that there can be certain things that are just so traumatic that your brain shuts them out. It's a self-preservation thing. Your brain says, nope, we're not doing it. Like, we can't think about this. Let's block it. Let's not think about it. I do believe that that is a legitimate thing that can happen. I do, however, have doubts and concerns about Teal Swan being the person to pull these memories out, to be the one helping people recalling the memories. And it's because there's a pattern of the types of memories that are recalled, kind of like with Dr. Barbara Snow. Every memory that we see publicly, maybe there are certain things going on privately, but the vast majority of the publicity about Dr. Barbara Snow is that all these kids are recalling the same kind of memory. And we see that happening with Teal throughout this episode and the people that Teal and her team are helping to recall these memories. It's a lot of the same kind of stuff. The memories that these people are able to recall are different, but they all seem to revolve around the same thing. They all seem to revolve around parents or other family members sexually abusing and physically harming their kids. Maybe there are other examples of different kinds of memories that have been recalled, I'm totally open to that possibility because we are just getting this, you know, in this particular instance from the documentary and what side they wanted to present. But when we're working with what we have and we're talking about what we see, all of these memories seem to be 
in line with each other and related to the same sort of thing. On a complete side note, one of y'all left a comment saying that you thought it would be interesting if I reacted to Teal's response to the documentary where she debunks certain things that were shown. So if you're interested in that, please let me know. If you're watching this on YouTube, leave it in the comment section. And if that's something that it seems like a decent amount of you want to see, I would be more than happy to do it. We've only got, you know, this episode and then one more left. So our series on Teal could be coming to an end, but we can extend it if that is something that you are interested in. Back to the episode. We see a FaceTime between Juliana, who is now Blake's wife, and her mom. And they're just talking about how things are going and about how Juliana feels about being there. And Juliana says that it's exciting and she's having a good time, but sometimes she doesn't really know how she feels about it yet. And her mom talks about how Juliana is living in this communal situation and how they're all living together and how that would be too much for her. But then she goes on to ask Juliana uh, something along the lines of, this is like your new family now, right? And Juliana confirms. And then her mom goes on to say that she wishes they were closer together so that way they could at least meet up for coffee or something. But she wants Juliana to give Blake her regards from his mother-in-law in Germany, even though they haven't met yet. Juliana's mom seems like a really nice woman who is just trying to support her daughter even though it's hard on her and it makes me kind of sad to watch these because you can just tell she loves her daughter and she wants her to be happy and she's like trying to encourage her and give her support from far away but you can tell it's still really hard to have her daughter so far away. So after this FaceTime, we see Blake polishing a table and he presents Juliana with this table and a sewing machine on top of it. And he's he mentioned he's giving this to her because she mentioned wanting to, quote, do something, end quote. And she's really excited about the sewing machine. She gives Blake a big kiss. I'm assuming she knows how to sew and that's a hobby that she enjoys because... I don't know, maybe she was talking about how she wanted something for herself and she felt like maybe she was spending too much time doing what Teal needed and what Teal wanted and what needed to be done in order to be a part of the Teal tribe. So she was probably struggling with a little bit of a loss of autonomy. This is complete speculation on me because literally, or from me, because literally all Blake says is that she had mentioned wanting to do something. I don't know what that means. We're just going with what we've got here. But then in a voiceover, Juliana says, quote, I really like being around him. It feels like coming home. It's not where I need to fight for that feeling. I think that's the best, finding that belonging, end quote. And this is played over a montage of Juliana and Blake spending time together. I think their relationship is very sweet. I do have qualms with how it started because I have qualms with... 99.9% of Teal's business practices, but they seem like they're a good match for each other. And so I can't help but feel that they're sweet together. The documentary then sets up some scenes that are kind of meant to imply that Blake is getting distracted from the work he's supposed to be doing with Teal because it shows Teal in the kitchen talking to someone who appears to be a participant and they're kind of having a a serious conversation from what we can hear. But then we see Blake and Juliana in the couch in the next room laughing and cuddling. They're looking at homes on one of their phones together. And then we see Blake and Juliana meeting with Molly over Zoom or Skype. It's, It's a video chat. And so Molly is the private investigator and she comments about how happy Blake looks. 
She goes on to talk about how she's been conducting this investigation and talking to people who are outside of the inner circle, but in order to complete her investigation and get the full analysis, she really needs to understand what goes on with the inner core. Juliana then comes over to talk to Molly, and we get a little bit of a clearer view of the timeline of this docuseries because we saw them get engaged and married within the course of one episode, but it turns out that they were, um, like, Juliana was in Teal's inner circle for three months before they got married, and yes, that's still pretty quick, but it gives us a little bit more clarity on the fact that what we are about to see kind of devolve and fall apart hasn't happened over the course of two weeks. It's been a little bit longer than that. It's happened over the course of several months. Anyway, Molly asks if anyone has a relationship with someone who is outside of the inner group, and Blake says not really. Molly wants to know if that's discouraged, and Blake quietly says no. Then Molly asks if there are any plans for the two of them to have kids, and Blake expresses that he feels like he already kind of got that experience with Teal's son, who, again, Blake is not Teal's son's father, and Blake and Teal broke up before Teal had her son. However, despite this, Teal's son has always seen Blake as a second father, and we do see a lot of footage of them spending time together, so um, it's very clear that Blake loves this kid a lot and they have a very close relationship but again Blake is not the father he has never been the stepfather or anything like that he is just like a second dad who is very close to the child's mom anyway um so he feels like he got the experience with Teal's son and then Juliana says that she's not really thinking about that right now but it definitely is a wish and Molly suggests they talk about it sometime After that, we see a shot that, in my opinion, is meant to establish the fact that Teal is feeling distant from Blake. We see Blake and Juliana in the kitchen being all lovey-dovey, and then Teal standing at the back of the kitchen against a wall looking kind of dejected. And next, we see Teal and her team watching some of Teal's old home movies. We hear Teal giving a voiceover talking about her experience as a child, and I'm going to play the clip for you. Again, it'll just be audio. I cannot screen record off of Hulu, but Teal's basically talking about how her family is her enemy, and her parents always saw her as different, and they kind of like othered her because she was different than them, and they didn't know what to do with her, and that it's been easier to forgive her abuser than it has been to forgive her parents because her parents won't acknowledge what she's been through. And I will just remind you again that in the interview with one of Teal's childhood friends, this friend does not believe the allegations that Teal has brought against the person who allegedly held her captive. She was with her a lot. She was like, we would be having sleepovers. I don't understand how she could be taken and trafficked at 3 a.m. and still make it to school on time and not have any physical marks on her body, not have anything like that. Um, This friend said that for a a very long time, uh, because Teal's family was so just like free and lax about certain things, that the girls would take baths together. They would see each other naked quite a bit. They did get to a point where Teal's mom was kind of like, hey, maybe you guys are too old to be doing this. You know, maybe we put a stop to it. But she says, like, we were very free and open with each other, and the timing of these things just doesn't quite make sense. And if all of these horrible physically abusive things happen to Teal, 
It's odd that there was no sign of it. There was nothing on her body, no burn marks, no cuts, no bruises, nothing that indicates that the story she's telling now is true. I'll go ahead and play the clip for you. I want to play this clip in its entirety because it's quite a long quote, but I think it's an important thing for us to hear and to remember. So this is, this is Teal's birthday, huh? We're all each other's family in this community. In childhood, most of us didn't fit in. For my parents, it was, this kid is not like me. This kid is not what I wanted. This kid is too different. I don't know what to do with this kid. This kid is mentally ill. There's a problem with this child. You did not see me at all. Not even when I was being abused. Beautiful summer day. What have you got for the horses, Teal? My parents are in a whole other reality about with my abuser you know i'm telling them such horrific details that they can't they can't go there and see themselves as good parents anymore that's i think why it's been so much easier to forgive him than my parents i watch this happen a lot sometimes you have to accept the fact that my own family is my enemy a lot of people have a hard time with that. What's the general vibe from that? Parents are the enemy. Family is the enemy. If you bring up things that you say happened to you as a kid and they don't affirm that thing being true, it's because they can't affirm it being true and still see themselves as good parents. So for their own ego, they have to deny your experience. They're the ones who are having the problem, not you. They're the ones who can't accept reality. You're ex you're accepting your reality and you're bringing your reality up when you tell them, I remember this thing happening to me as a kid. That's what Teal is setting up. After this clip, we see Grazi looking through pictures of herself as a kid, and she says that the book she's holding contains the only photos she has of herself as a child. And I do have a correction and an apology to make. In episode two, I was calling Teal's assistant Gracie. That's how I assumed her name was pronounced because nobody said it out loud. But in episode three, we hear Teal calling her Grazi, pronouncing it that way. And so throughout the rest of the time talking about her. When I refer to her, I will say Grazi. But if you hear Grazi, think Gracie from episode two, Teal's assistant, who just says that she eats, lives, breathes, and sleeps Teal Swan. So Grazi says, it's interesting that you can look so normal, but underneath there was so much going on. And when she started this, quote, whole thing, end quote, with Teal, there was so much that came up. Then she runs a bath and she is wearing a dress, but she sits in the bathtub and says that she's taking us into her safe space. And she chooses a bath as her safe space because she feels like she can't have any walls in a bathtub. So it gives her the opportunity to get deep. Grazi starts talking more about her childhood and two of the allegations that she makes against her family are one, that she was raped at four years old for taking a piece of cake that was meant for a party. 
She says that she doesn't remember whose party it was for, but her mom said that she was going to tell her dad what she had done. And then Grazi's dad apparently took her into a room and raped her. And at one point, her mom walked in, saw what was happening because Grazi was like screaming her head off and then just walked out. And two, that there was a barbecue pit that her family built and at family gatherings, they would light the barbecue pit on fire and put every single kid there on top of it. A producer asks why her family would do that and Grazi responds, quote, as a form of punishment, I, I, I don't know. It, it's more so, here's the thing. I did start uncovering some of this stuff when I was with Teal, but I had stuff I didn't need to uncover. End quote. Next, we see Teal conducting a combo ceremony. Essentially, there is a particular kind of tropical frog that secretes a poisonous substance as a defense mechanism. So in these ceremonies... A shaman or a practitioner will take this poisonous secretion and apply it to the participant's skin. And they don't just like lather it on like lotion. They very often will burn holes in the skin of the participant, scrape that skin off, and then put the poison in the holes. There's a whole process that goes along with it. There's a particular amount of water or other like hydrating liquid that you're supposed to drink before you do this after the poison is applied and it goes through your blood bloodstream this typically results in a purge and then you are also encouraged to drink a certain amount of rehydrating liquid afterwards doing this kind of ceremony is meant to help treat a wide variety of issues and i will say that this kind of treatment has been used for a very long time by indigenous people and from what i can tell I'll link the sources I read down below. They've used it to uh, ward off bad luck and increase their stamina and hunting skills. But I have seen a lot of new age spiritual influencers talking about combo ceremonies and engaging in them. So while they've had some positive results, like I've seen a lot of people talking about it favorably, I will just put out the warning that some of the potential side effects are severe and prolonged vomiting and diarrhea. Dehydration, muscle spasms and cramps, convulsions, jaundice, confusion, scarring, heart palpitations, and swelling of the eyes, lips, and face. So, if this kind of ceremony is something you're interested in, please go to an experienced practitioner, not someone who did it once themselves and had a great time. Like, don't just go to somebody who was like, I did it and now I know how to do it and I can do it on you. Please be discerning. Please go to someone who is very experienced in doing this kind of thing because you're putting you're putting something in your body. You are technically putting a poisonous secretion in your body. Just be careful out there, okay? So we watch the ceremony happen and Grazi says that her intention for the ceremony is for it to help her move forward because she feels like a lot of her trauma is stuck. And then she says, quote, my parents think I've gone nuts. We live in two different worlds. And so they don't think Teal's a great influence on me. There was a moment where my mom came to Utah and called the cops. She said, my daughter, I haven't heard from her. She's being abused. Eventually, I actually confronted my mom on the abuse and she denied everything. And so I was like, I can't, I can't do this. That was the last time I saw her, end quote. This is very sad to me. I'm not going to pretend to know what happened to Grazi as a child. And we're working with very limited information here. 
But to me, the fact that she says her mom came out and tried to get her and tried to go to the authorities and, and like, break her daughter and teal up, basically, um, for some people in some situations, that could be a sign of an abuser trying to regain control of their victim. But in some cases, it can be a concerned mom wanting her kid back, wanting her kid to be safe and healthy and away from a, a toxic influence. So it could be one of two things. I tend to lean towards it sounding like her mom wanting to try and look out for her and get her out of an environment that isn't super great, but we can all have our own opinions. And again, I don't know Grazie. I don't know her mom. I don't know what happened. But just keep in mind, we have somebody here saying that because of Teal, they've had to cut off contact with their family. So they're going through the ceremony. Teal tells Grazie to let go and let the medicine help her. Grazie ends up vomiting, and then in a voiceover, we hear Teal say that Grazie's parents blame Teal for the state of their relationship with Grazie, and that they think Teal ruined their family. She says that uh, Blake's family thinks the same thing, and that the same thing is probably going to happen with Juliana. She then says, quote, They cannot own the conditions, painful conditions, that created a daughter who doesn't want to be around them. She left. Why did she leave? It can't have anything to do with us, right? So, of course, they're going to come up with a story to save their self-esteem, which is that she's been seduced into a cult, end quote. Next, we see Molly, the private investigator, having another video chat with Jared. And as a reminder, Jared is somebody who used to be in Teal's inner circle. When he left, Teal told him, if I were you, I would kill myself. Um, He had a very bad experience with Teal, and it had a very lasting impact on him. He is also the member who helped her basically set up her business in 2012. And he's the one who told Teal that he would kill someone and bury them in the backyard for her. So they're talking about, you know, what his experience was like being with Teal and all of that. And Molly talks about how she kind of has a checklist for what to look out for when determining if something is a cult and that there's one set of ethics for the leader and another for the followers. And then Jared explains that he thinks the outer circle is very much self-help, but the inner circle is very much a cult. He then shows us a tattoo he has on the palm of his hand that says, is it true? And he says that Teal suggested he get this tattoo because she could read his thoughts and she knew that he was lying to her. He says after hearing this from Teal that like she could read his thoughts and all that, he really began to question his childhood and his family and he thought he'd been sexually abused by his grandparents. Um, And he says that things just kept getting worse and worse as he was trying to reconcile whether or not it was really him and his mind that was showing him these things or not. He then goes on to tell the documentary crew, quote, Teal made me question like all my childhood experiences and everything that I'd gone through just, you know, made me like cut ties with my family and think this and accuse my dad of sexual abuse, like awful stuff. I told my ex-wife I wasn't going to pay child support and she thought it was because I didn't have the money, but I was literally not paying that money because I was giving it all to Teal, end quote. He then goes on to tell Molly that Teal would constantly say they had to put the cause first and that the mission was more important than both of their lives. And Molly just groans and leans back in her chair, which was funny to witness because you can see it just kind of like washing over her like, oh, shoot, I'm not going to be able to go back and say, nope, everything's great. This isn't a cult. We're all good here. It's like hitting her 
how bad this situation is. Jared then goes on to express, I just bit my tongue and it hurt really bad. Jared also expresses that when you believe Teal is who she says she is, then that outweighs anything she can do to you or any kind of behavior she might exhibit because either her mission is too important or she's been through too much. Anything else is just off limits to think about. Next, there's a conversation between Teal, Matthias, Blake, and Juliana, and Matthias brings up Prince Harry and Meghan, and he says that Meghan was completely unprepared for entering into the royal family, and so he wants to make sure that they can avoid a crash here and go over what everyone has signed up for and see where it's compatible and where it's not compatible. Juliana says that doing workshops make her feel like she's in the right place, and it doesn't cost her any energy. Matthias asks her to confirm that if she's in a workshop for 14 hours and then someone goes into crisis and she has to be with them for another six hours, that she is okay with that. She says that she is and he just kind of reiterates the point again and he wants Juliana to uh, confirm for him that she has 24-hour availability. Uh, She says yes to this and Blake says that he feels the same. And then they get into a discussion about how Blake and Juliana cannot go to Germany unless it is for um, traveling for business with the company. And Juliana expresses that she would like to find a way to make it possible for her to go see her family and friends and maintain those relationships with them. But of course, Teal and Matthias both reiterate that there is no leisure travel and that the life that they're leading is not compatible with a typical life. And Matthias tells Juliana that her life is different than she thinks it is. Yikes, Krispies is all I'm going to say to that one. 24-hour availability, no leisure travel, no you can't go see your mom. Red flags. So after Matthias says that, everyone is just kind of sitting there quiet and looking frustrated. And then the scene ends and we cut to a live event where Teal is on stage with Uh, an attendee who's you know sharing what she's going through and she expresses that she got to a point where she had to completely cut contact with her family she says that it's really hard though because sometimes she wants to keep those relationships and it's really difficult to feel like she's all by herself in this life then teal has this attendee close her eyes and grazi walks up behind her and puts her hand on her shoulder and teal expresses that uh both she and Grazi are in the chaos with this woman and she's not alone and that being cut off from her family is what she needs. Teal says this woman has been gaslit her whole life and her feelings are real and true and the woman begins to sob. So again, we don't know this woman's backstory, but I just want to know how Teal understands or Teal can confidently say that this woman has been gaslit her whole life and needs to cut off contact with her family. How much of uh, how much of this woman's history did they go into on stage? Because I know they weren't sitting there for an hour going through everything that happened. I want to make the point that there are certain situations in which cutting off your family is the healthy choice. Just because somebody's related to you does not mean that you are obligated to keep them in your life if it is not healthy for you. You are totally valid in cutting off people if you feel that they need to be cut off. However, again, we see this over and over with people following Teal, how it's something happened 
and it's their parents' fault and their parent can't admit that this thing happened and so cutoff needs to happen. I don't need you. I just need Teal. I need Teal and her team because these are the people who are walking through the chaos with me, not you. And maybe there is something to it where um, the people who we commonly see following Teal have gone through so many similar experiences and they've gone through everything. They've tried everything. Nothing's worked. And so that's how they ended up at Teal. And the reason that we are hearing things um, like multiple people having similar stories or similar experiences or having to get to the point where they cut off their family is because they've gone through those things and they've been gaslit and people haven't believed them and Teal does believe them. Maybe that is what's happening. I'm not saying that that's completely impossible, but I just question it. It's very concerning to me. It's like an immediate red flag when you have a leader, little, little spiritual leader. This is my Teal Swan example, right? This is my visual aid. You've got a leader. You've got Teal Swan. And then the majority of the people around her are being told to cut off contact with their family. Because like Teal said earlier, they need to know what happened. Her participants, her followers, they need to see what happened. They need to recognize the horribly abusive state of their childhood. They need to come to terms with it. And if their parents don't affirm this for them and their parents can't set their egos aside, quote unquote, in order to confirm that this is what happened, it's the parents' fault. And the parents are gaslighting the child or the adult child. Something's not right. If part of being in community with someone more often than not involves cutting off your family, something might be wrong there. All right, let's get back to this live event. So like I said, the woman begins to sob and then the audience starts applauding and we get a shot of a woman named Sabrina who's in the crowd. She's clapping and we are going to learn more about her next. So Sabrina is in her apartment. The documentary crew are, you know, interviewing her, getting her story and she shares that in 2015, she was super depressed, out of reality, and looking for help. She says that she had a therapist when she was younger, but it didn't work, and she eventually found Teal. So this is somebody who uh, tried going the traditional route, tried getting help from a therapist, and for whatever reason, it didn't work out. And so she was seeking help, and she found Teal. She says that she went to one of Teal's retreats and at this retreat, Teal told her that her parents don't love her. Sabrina says that she had like a back and forth with Teal where she disagreed with this because she felt like her parents did love her, but Teal told her that that was not true and Sabrina eventually gave in because Teal is psychic. So after this, Sabrina moved out of her parents' house. And now she's in a tough spot because moving out of her parents' house was the last thing to fall for her in terms of support. And after she did that, she fell into a deep depression and then attempted suicide. I'm trying not to repeat myself too much. We obviously don't know every dynamic of every person in this documentary. We don't know what it's like between Sabrina and her parents it's very possible that an adult child can be living with their parents and they can have a toxic relationship. But in this instance, Teal, like, 
Teal says, your parents don't love you. Sabrina fights back. She says, no, my parents do love me. I don't think that's true. But then eventually, because she's so desperate to feel better, because she's she has depression and she wants to feel better, and she thinks that Teal is who she says she is and Teal is psychic, she says, well, Teal must know. My parents don't love me. I need to move out of their house. And then things got worse. Things didn't get better after that. Her last support system fell apart because she moved out of her parents' house. And she tried to die by suicide. You know, they say that sometimes things have to fall apart in order for them to come together. In order to bake a beautiful cake, you got to break a few eggs first. But, um, you know, in 2015, she found Teal. And several years later, when they're filming this documentary, things are still rough for Sabrina. And this is confirmed by Sabrina. This isn't just me, like, making an assumption. Because next, we see Sabrina attending another one of Teal's completion process retreats. And um, in a voiceover, she says, quote, I need to feel better, not in an abstract way. I can't have this hope like it's going to get better in the future or something like that. This is whole thing is a leap of faith for me. But honestly, life is painful. So you really don't have a that's the thing. I think Teal said this. She's like, you don't know how much pain someone has to be in to finally come to me. That's the fucking truth, man. You have nothing else to lose. End quote. So Sabrina's at this completion process retreat and we see the beginning of a group session. Teal asks everyone how they're feeling aside from afraid, but she assures all of the participants that the standards she has for her team are very high. So high that some people can't hack it and the camera pans to Juliana and uh, Teal begins to introduce their first exercise, but Sabrina interrupts Teal to tell her that she has some resistance to her right now and that she's a little bit mad at her. Teal asks why, and Sabrina says that it's because her life did not get better, it got worse, and she informs Teal about her suicide attempt and says that she can't do this anymore. I feel like we're missing certain context of the rest of the conversation because things are kind of referred to in a very general way that makes me think we're missing, um, like, references to specific events or specific things, but this is just how the the conversation plays out as shown in the documentary. And so Teal says she knows it sucks, but her intention is for her to feel better, but the reality is that most adults, Sabrina included, are living an inauthentic life and that things fall apart because they are not true to you. They have a little bit of a back and forth. It's pretty tense. And Teal tells Sabrina that her life is better now. But Sabrina says that's bullshit. And then after that, it doesn't seem that Teal really has a response. They just kind of sit quietly looking at each other. It appears the way that it's presented that somebody's coming to Teal with something that Teal can't really argue against. If we think about that interaction that I showed you in episode one, where the participant is saying, you know, who do you look up to? Who's allowed to hold you accountable? Teal just, it, like, nothing. This is something that she can shut down in her mind that her followers will accept. Because Teal can say, there's no one that I've met who's more intuitive than me. There's no one I've met who's more skilled than me. So why would I let somebody else hold me accountable? If you met the world's fastest runner, you wouldn't say, you can't teach me running because there's nobody faster than you. Like, in, in the Teal tribe world, that logic works. But in this moment, you have somebody who is a follower of Teal's, who believes in Teal and has been to multiple conferences. She watches Teal's videos at home. She's been to the retreats. She is there and she is saying, I followed you. I listened to you and my life did not get better. And when Teal fights back, she says, no, that's bullshit. 
it didn't get better. What is Teal supposed to say to that? You know, people think Teal's psychic, Teal's all-knowing, whatever people perceive Teal to be, whatever skills they perceive her having. You have a real person here saying, no, I'm telling you, it didn't get better. And so it seems like Teal just doesn't really have a response. There's there's nothing that she can really say in that moment to fix this. There's nothing that she can say to kind of shut this down quickly because Sabrina's not backing down. So after this, we see that Juliana and another member of the Teal tribe are looking for Sabrina because they can't find her. And eventually they do find her upstairs in a room like with the door closed and she's just by herself and she is sobbing. Because again, she is struggling. She needs help. She is seeking help. She wants to feel better. And the things that she has done so far have not worked. Then we see Teal and her team having a conversation about Sabrina. And Juliana says that Sabrina told her that if she goes home and doesn't feel better, she is going to kill herself. And Teal's response is that if the media finds out about this, then she is going to be blamed for it. And another member of her team says that it's either about helping Sabrina or protecting Teal's business. Then Matthias equates the situation to emotional blackmail. Sabrina emotionally blackmailing Teal. And Teal agrees with both of the sentiments. You know, it's either help Sabrina or save the business. And that, yes, this does feel like emotional blackmail. But she does need her team to help her find a way that she can work with Sabrina. All of those things are distasteful. Especially um, the fact that Teal's first response is, oh, well, if she does that, I'm going to be blamed. Like, yes, Teal's a business owner. Of course, her business is going to be on the forefront of her mind, but for that to be her first response is callous, cruel, and incredibly insensitive, in my opinion. After this, Juliana tries to express where she believes Sabrina is coming from based on what they talked about, and Sabrina just talking about how she's fearful, how she has no plan B, like it's either this conference conference fixes the emotions that she's going through or that there's really nothing else. And someone off camera says that Teal needs everyone to be on the same page with this. And we see Teal turn around to look at Juliana and they just exchange tense glances with each other. After the scene, we see Juliana talking to her mom again and they're talking over FaceTime and her mom comments about how Juliana doesn't look so good. And as an audience member looking at Juliana, you can just tell that she's distressed about something, presumably the Sabrina situation. But from what we see, Juliana does not elaborate on this. Uh, She just says that at first she felt like this is where she belonged, but now she's not so sure. And her mom says that that's usually how it goes. Like she's trying to reassure her, you know, this isn't totally out of the ordinary, but maybe Juliana just needs to wait a little bit to see how things play out. Then we see a conversation between Sabrina, Teal, and some of the members of the Teal tribe where Sabrina says that maybe she's just having trouble appreciating things because her mother always told her that nothing ever satisfied her. And Teal says that she does not want to be aligned with Sabrina's mother. This is literally just Sabrina sharing something. Like, Teal's trying to get to the bottom of what the issue is. She says, well, maybe I just can't appreciate things. That's what my mom said. And Teal automatically is like, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, I don't want to be aligned with your mom. I don't want to be like your mom. 
don't connect us together because I'm different. Then they talk a little bit about how Sabrina needs to deal with her childhood trauma. And Teal says that she is giving Sabrina permission to be angry about what she's been through. But Sabrina says that she's not allowed to do that because she was never allowed to be angry. And then they have another back and forth. It's a lot of like quick comments to and fro. And eventually Teal says that Sabrina keeps coming to these retreats and that Teal feels like Sabrina is playing games with her. But Sabrina expresses that she feels like she's on a carousel where her life consists of retreats and then going home and then feeling like crap until it's time for the next retreat and over and over again. But she doesn't want to sign up for a life like that. She then tells Teal that the amount of emotional pain she's in is actually manifesting into physical hurt. After Sabrina says this, the scene ends and we see Teal venting to Matthias, Grazi, Blake, and Juliana. And she says a lot. It's very intense. I am going to play the audio for you so you can hear it in its entirety. What the fuck is going on with this? What has to happen for the people to realize I have the information that's going to make it so that your life changes? Because of this last week, I don't know what the answer is. And it's like people, they don't can actually see. They don't see the truth. I can tell you what your issue is. I, I like, they need to know that. There are two things we wanted to do in general. It's like, okay, what do we People like fucking hate, I need you to realize this. Like people like fucking hate me. And why do you feel you have haters? I have haters because I wear high heels. I have haters because I charge $5,000 for people to come to a private event when they think I should do it for free. I have haters because I'm a female with a fucking opinion and I have power and a vagina at the same time. Just feels like my childhood all over again. It's like I don't know this, what's happening. This is good. See, we're, we're so we're still in the dark. Oh my god, my daughter never had an issue with suicide until she talked to Teal's phone. Oh yeah, I read a fucking journal. I'm so tired of families who are like, I don't know what happened. I'm like, you fucking happened. Of course, your daughter killed herself. Jesus Christ. If people don't start doing this kind of work on themselves, they're headed off a fucking cliff. I can see that, but people aren't, some people are not ready to do that, doing that, do, what do you Then they're going to die. That's the thing. force them. Oh, fuck yeah. I, I don't feel like we can force them. But it doesn't work that way. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. You literally just crossed the line. Now we have problems. While I will agree that misogyny exists and there are certain men and people in general who see a bold opinionated woman and have a negative reaction to that because they think that that woman is you know just being too masculine and who is she how dare she be like that she's too much people do judge women like that sometimes not always but it happens however it's like Teal is not able to recognize where she might be wrong it's I have haters because I wear high heels and I charge $5,000 for a retreat when people think I should do it for free. Okay, maybe. Maybe that's a reason that some people have an issue with you. But can we look at the bigger picture? Can we look at maybe some of your approaches and how you talk to people and the things that have happened regarding people leaving your community and just negative impacts that you might have had on people's lives? We've talked about this before. I don't believe that Teal is completely, like, useless in terms of helping people. I have seen firsthand comments on Teal's channel from people saying how much Teal has helped them. I think Teal can be helpful in certain situations, but not all. 
Just because somebody is helpful to somebody doesn't mean they're not harmful to somebody else. Two things can be true at the same time. But the main thing I want to focus on from the end of the conversation is Juliana saying that some people aren't ready for the work that Teal wants them to do and they can't force them. And then Teal telling Juliana that she just crossed the line. Tensions are rising. After this, we see Molly doing additional research and she's watching videos on YouTube. We see her watching a video from a content creator. Uh, their channel name is Andy the Fellows. I will link it down below, who expresses that he's always struggled with depressive episodes, but never more so than when he was following Teal. And he also says that it's easy to see the dangers with Teal's teachings from the outside, but people on the inside are conditioned not to see it. Molly um, is talking to the documentary crew, and she says that from listening to the stories of people who have stopped following Teal, she's seeing a lot of red flags, and she has to pull herself together and keep working to find the truth because this whole thing is a mess. And then she says, quote, and then I was given a document that I was shocked that they shared with me, which is called the non-negotiables. And this is a list of the things that people have to agree to if they're going to be a part of this inner circle. And it does not read well, end quote. Molly then has a phone call with Blake where she asks him about this list of non-negotiables. Some of the items on this list are that you cannot put your own family first, that Teal comes first, and if she wants you somewhere, she gets priority. The priority of the entire community is whatever is in the best interest of Teal. Quote, you cannot have personal boundaries that have in any way an effect on Teal. You will now be in the world of fame. This makes relationships very, very complicated and often painful. Your associations are, in fact, your potential biggest liability. Anyone you introduce to the community could turn on Teal, blackmail her, rip the community apart, put extra pressure on Teal or other members of the community. When fame and money is involved, people simply cannot be trusted. Your life is not going to even remotely resemble normal. End quote. And Molly is like reading this particular piece of the fame, the money, rip Teal apart. She's reading this to Blake and he says... Uh-huh. Molly then continues, quote, if you want a normal life, do not choose to be a part of the inner circle, and it goes on, end quote. Molly wants to know if Blake's ever had any issues with these non-negotiables, and he said that he's always been fine with it for the most part, and that Teal compares joining the inner circle to joining the military, and he wants to know what Molly thought when she read all that, and she says, quote, that most of it is illegal. That was my first reaction. Part of my job here is to try to figure out if this is a cult or not. And then I get this document and it's, I have a checklist that I'm going through saying, yep, cult, cult, cult. I mean, it's all on the list of things that I'm having to use to define what a cult is. And I know this doesn't apply to the outer circles of participants, but there's enough people on this list that this is supposed to apply to that it's, um, it's put me in an uncomfortable position, end quote. I know this is all very serious, but I would like to add that if you're watching it, the expressions that Molly is making while she says that and how she gestures the check mark where she's like, yep, cult, 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 it's, it adds a little bit of levity that I appreciated. Blake then says that he can understand how 
fucked up it sounds, but that Teal is incredibly empathetic and she's always checking in with the members of the inner circle to make sure that them being there is still working for them. But Molly wants to know if Blake really thinks that someone would feel comfortable saying that they are not in alignment with what was happening because to say that would mean getting kicked out of the inner circle. And Blake says, quote, yeah, no, end quote. So yeah, Teal might be checking in on people. Oh, are you good? Is this an alignment? Is everything okay? And what are you going to say? If it's not working and you're not prioritizing Teal and her mission, you know, you're not doing what Teal's asking you to do, or you're going to say that you're not comfortable with what Teal's asking you to do, that means you're violating those rules. So what do you do if you're uncomfortable with something, but you still love Teal and you want to be there? Chances are you're just going to say that everything's fine. Next, we see Juliana give a really emotional interview to the documentary makers where she says that she gave up her entire life in Germany to come do this. And before she came, she perceived Teal to be somebody who really cared and wanted to help people. But now that she's here, her entire experience has felt like falling in a hole. And when she's committed to something that she is committed, but this is not what she thought it would be. She says that Teal is not in a space anymore where she's just a spiritual teacher. There's definitely another level to it, and Juliana doesn't know how long she can take it. After that, we see Teal talking to the participants who have come to attend the completion process retreat, and she tells them that some of them are fighting against whatever is in front of them, and unless they deal with it, they are She tells them that they are going to be doing something called water breath, which is terrifying but powerful. And when they are down there, it's not going to be fun. Water breath. I can only describe this as like reverse waterboarding or, you know, attempting to drown someone. They go on to show this water breath being done with Sabrina and Basically, what it is, is Sabrina in a pool, three guys around her, and they're holding her up. One of them's, like, covering her eyes, and they're just, like, floating her. And then they flip her over and push her under the water. They hold her down there. Then they pull her up long enough for her to get a breath, and they push her down again. And it's repeated over and over and over. And you see her screaming under the water. You see her fighting struggling, wriggling, trying to get out, smacking the bottom of the pool, and it just goes on. Hold her under, let her come up, let her get a breath, and then she goes right back down. I don't know how long this is supposed to go on for until, like, somebody loses consciousness or until Teal's decided that they've had enough, until Teal psychically recognizes that this person has had the breakthrough that she wants them to have. I don't know, but the whole thing gives me anxiety. I understand that exposing your body to certain forms of stress in a controlled environment can kind of activate like your fight or flight. It can activate your nervous system. It can make you feel particular ways or feel an intense rush of things. Like there are uh, ways that people manipulate the nervous system in order to get a result. I understand that. But this freaks me out. Like, I try to be very open to things, but when you're dealing with water and pushing people under and they don't have control of it, it's just a very scary thought to me of what could potentially happen. 
I don't like it. But Teal says that she knows firsthand that water breath is incredibly painful, but it's a purge and that self-awareness does not come naturally to those that avoid pain. And another thing I want to know about doing this thing is that while these men are doing the water breath to Sabrina, Teal's standing at the edge of the pool and they have to like look to her for when to flip Sabrina over and start this process. And so like they're relying on Teal's kind of nonverbal guidance to do this. And I feel like if Teal is the expert, she should be in the pool. Yeah, maybe they're not going to know how long it's going to take for this breakthrough or they're not going to have the energetic senses. They're not going to be able to tell when when things need to happen. So Teal needs to be involved because she's the guru, right? Get in the freaking pool then. If they have to look to you for timing of essentially like near drowning someone, get in the pool. Be there. Like don't don't just be at a distance controlling things like a creep. Get in the pool. Anyway, the less angry point that I wanted to make with that is that this is a risky thing to do. Doing water breath is incredibly risky. Things can go wrong very quickly. And so if you have these guys who are looking to teal for the cues on when to do what, it just seems like it would be safer to have her right there. And yeah, she's on the edge of the pool, like whatever. But you can tell. Have you ever done something and somebody's instructing you on how to do it and you can tell that even though they're the one instructing you they don't really know what they're talking about and so it makes you doubt whether or not you should follow through with it I feel like that would be the situation for this that like you can tell when somebody's not confident in what they're doing and so when you're asking someone to trust you with their life you probably want to make them as comfortable as possible and I think Teal being in the pool would contribute to that. It would probably make things a little bit less anxiety riddled for whoever's getting dunked repeatedly. Anyway, we watch this process happen. It's incredibly distressing to me. I felt very uncomfortable watching it. And, um, you know, like I said, Sabrina's screaming underwater, fighting, hitting the bottom of the pool with her hands. And then everybody around who's watching this looks incredibly concerned. Like the The people who are watching this who are not Teal aren't like, yeah, this is how it goes. This seems very natural. They look petrified. And it just goes on until they finally have to carry Sabrina out of the pool because she is barely conscious, if we can say that. Like, it's generous to say that she's barely conscious. So these guys place her on a pool chair and Teal eventually walks over and, like, stands at Sabrina's head and places her hands on the side of her head and is just like intimately holding her and then Sabrina manages to utter out the words I love you and they cut to the credits so yeah episode three was a lot there were a lot of things that were disturbing to me and distressing to me I am shocked that we are already going to be on episode four I know it's only four episodes, but I feel like it's just gone by really quickly. And so I just want to say thank you if you've watched these. I really appreciate it because this topic is fascinating to me. And I know that it's a really heavy topic to talk about, but I appreciate you being here. I think it's important to have these discussions and you're awesome. Thank you so much for watching them. 
And while this series has not come to a close yet, I do want to ask a little favor of you. I'm getting prepared for a future video where I talk about modesty culture because I recently had an experience that made me realize I was not as far distanced from it as I had thought that I was. And so I thought that I would take this experience and use it as an opportunity to bring up modesty culture and its long lasting effects. In the pinned comment down below, I will have a Slido link. Slido is the same application that I used when I was collecting questions to ask Jeremy when he came on my channel. It's completely anonymous. And so I just want to ask if you have a story that you want to share about either growing up in modesty culture or still living with modesty culture and you want to um, share that with the channel, let me know how it's affected you throughout your childhood and even today. I would really appreciate it. I would love to share these on my channel and just have a conversation about modesty culture and what it does when people play into it maybe a little bit too heavily. So if you have something that you want to share, click the link in the pinned comment down below and let me know if you have any other thoughts about this video. If you are listening on the podcast, I will be asking you a question. If you're on Spotify, there's a Q&A box. I'm going to ask you a question. Feel free to share your answers with me. And while y'all are doing that, if you could either subscribe to my channel on YouTube or leave a rating on the podcast, that would be incredible. And if you have done that already, thank you so much. I am so appreciative of you and I love being able to just sit here, hang out with you and talk about whatever. Thank you so much for watching. Please be kind to people and I will see you in the next one. Bye.